Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are delving once again into a world that is so dark that there's actually always sunlight. This is the conclusion to our land of a thousand suns as we explore and expound upon what is a just really depressing type setting, actually. Uh, So we're going to dive right in and we're going to go back to our twist from last episode, which is make everything grimdark. And obviously, I mean, the setting is already grimdark. So we, I mean, grimdark to me is, is a little bit absurd and a little bit absurdist. So this episode, from my perspective anyway, might go a little bit silly, but frankly, I think grimdark should be a little bit silly, but you know, also grim and dark at the same time. So who wants to start us off with that twist? Uh, Daniel, go ahead and tell us how you plan to reconcile this grim, dark world that we're living in. My thoughts were, um, well, when I, when I, it's interesting that you say that grim, dark to you could mean something absurdist, which I think is, is cool. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what that means. Um, my, my experience with grim, dark is that it's usually like depressingly, um, horrible. So, so like, um, what I was thinking is, okay, well, how do we take what we have and, and make it to the 10th level of that? Well, we were talking about this um, kind of red death acceleration that's happening um, in the system and that the star is dying and so it's going to engulf the system and part of these machines' interest is in witnessing this event or being part of it somehow. So I thought, well, but the only thing there was that there was a hope that perhaps this, that's what's happening in this system, maybe in a few in others, and there's a possibility of like stopping it from occurring in other places in terms of the trapped human minds behind these machines. So the, the, I guess the grimdark answer to that um, concept would be to subtract out the hope entirely. So my thought is like, if there's this red death acceleration, it's not just happening here. It's happening to all stars in the entire universe. And so with the conclusion of this acceleration, all stars everywhere will have collapsed into black holes and the universe itself will end. That's actually really cool. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Like you're, you're not just taking hope away from this planet. It's, every planet yeah and something about that is actually really fascinating and i I grant that like in terms of the actual physics you know what we're looking at stars there in the past and they may already be dead and there's those in the future in the sense that they're far away and we can't get to them so there's some magical possibility here that makes it such that these machines are doing this deliberately asynchronously across all time and out of relativity to affect all of them and cause them to accelerate their deaths. Daniel, I'm so glad that you said that because (laughs) my reconciliation for Grimdark was to throw in some goddamn chaos demons. Uh, Because when I think Grimdark, my brain immediately goes to Warhammer 40K. And why not have the acceleration of all of these deaths be, or, or the death of all of these sons rather, be the harbinger to like some chaos portal where demons are just pouring out of the sun or what used to be the sun anyway. Ooh, I mean, and if the, if the sun, cause the sun was going to explode, at least this one and turn into a black hole that kind of gives me event horizon vibes with like evil yeah. emerging from the black hole. Mm. I, I had that. I had a similar vibe as we were discussing that as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a, 
that's a that, that's a demon, right? Like that's that's. I think that so. Means. Black holes yeah. are really scary. Like I remember terrifying. when I was a kid and I first learned about them. I was like, "This is the fucking scariest thing in the universe." I okay. This is a true story. When I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade, I was doing a science report on black holes because I thought, yes. like you, Daniel, that they were terrifying but also really cool. Exactly. But this is the this is the uh, w- this is the halcyon days of the internet, oh, where if yeah. you go to blackholes.com, oh back no, in the day, no, oh no, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's a real story that actually happened to me because again, this was like pre Google, so like before uh, you, like yeah. before like search engines were really a thing. You kind of just had to like guess at what you wanted to search and black holes was certainly one of them. And man, I learned that black holes have several meanings when I was a small <laughs> child. Amazing. Uh, it, it is one of those like close the browser as fast as you can. Like as the beads of sweat drip down, you're like, Oh no, my parents will find out and I'll be in trouble somehow. <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments. So Courtney, mm-hmm. explain to me how you plan on incorporating black holes into your grimdark future. <laughs> so my idea was kind of similar to Daniel's um, in that I was thinking about like a an actual like hive mind thing going on with the robots so that throughout mm. the universe, they're all doing this at the same time. Um, and I do like how that ties in with the idea of like, they're doing this to all the stars everywhere, just trying to destroy the universe essentially. Yeah, that is okay. So that that sounds very cool to me overall. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, can we somehow make these robots demon worshippers? Is that possible? Yeah, I guess yeah, it, it depends on what we mean by demon, right? Yes, because in my mind, when I say chaos demons, it could really also mean elder evil mm-hmm. of some mm-hmm. kind as well. Like that's you know why not invite a creature that is blinking out all suns in the world in the universe to you know kind of bring about the apocalypse i just had an idea what if um these stars are actually eggs of some giant like elder god race and they're Mm. actually just speeding up the um the incubation process oh i love that so yeah that's awesome yeah they're They're hatchers the Mm -hmm. black holes are kind of like the gestation itself like and then by causing them all to happen simultaneously, maybe what happens is you envelop the entire universe into one big black hole. Explain that a little bit more, because when I think of like simultaneous black holes, I'm uh-huh. thinking of like multiple portals being opened and these things like being born from the black hole. So well, that's what I mean. Can, like, yeah. have you ever read about like when they when they have two like rotating black holes that collapse into one and it causes this like crazy cosmic reverberation of gravity? So I'm thinking like, okay, you've got all the stars in the universe. And granted, realistically, there's such distances between them all that this would mm-hmm. not be possible or make any sense. But for the sake of our fantasy, we've collapsed all the stars in the universe, even though some of them don't have the mass to do this, into black holes because magic. Now you've got all these rips in space basically everywhere and they start to coalesce into one giant ass super portal that lets in the massive uh, chaos egg that then consumes the universe. Mm. Mm. All right. Okay. Okay. This is going to sound strange, 
but we're going cosmic here. So I'm thinking that we could also use them as eggs. For some reason, my brain goes, these black holes are eyes. Ooh, you know, so like as each as each sun blinks out, an eye opens, Ooh, and those black holes are eyes. I like that. So it's like this this thing that they're trying to invite into the universe is so massive that like, I mean, each sun is an eyeball, which is already pretty insane. But it also like speaks to its physicality that it it it, it, it can encompass the entire universe in a way. You mm-hmm. know? So it's like little tears you're opening so it can kind of see peer through until it's big exactly. enough for it to get through. Exactly. I- imagine like a closed eyelid opening and that being a black hole. Like that's essentially the idea. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Is it is it grim dark though? Because that's that's the twist we rolled with. I think well, and, it's pretty grim dark, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, the other thing too is that like the part of the concept of a black hole is it's inescapable, right? Like once you get within a certain mm-hmm. distance of it, you can't go back. But here we're saying somehow all of these black holes are being merged such that its event horizon is the entire universe. So now we're all trapped in this one black hole, which becomes the massive tear. So these little tears become a large tear and then the door opens. I feel like this is a Doctor Strange comic with like Shumagorath at the at the center of everything, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So I feel like we've reconciled that pretty well. We've now got this massive space entity that the robots are now in charge of in some ways, which is interesting, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, let's get back to our pain robots. Uh, who wants to introduce one of the factions that we have created for this setting? Courtney, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Sure. Uh, so I was thinking about all the fun torture that these robots are doing. As you will, yeah, as you do, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sexy torture. I mean, it's sexy to someone. I'm sure somebody out there, yeah. Um, And wanted to kind of bring that to an even more um, depressing level as far as mental torture goes uh, with a faction of robots that are kind of like fucked up psychiatrists who are experimenting mm-hmm. on the human psyches themselves to learn more about them. Um, so doing things like um, forcing multiple psyches into one robot body, um, merging consciousnesses into like one unit, forcing um, maybe two enemies to kind of survive together in the same area. Um, basically just trying to to really peel apart human psyche. So I'm going to link in the show notes a uh, a, a link to the I have no mouth and I'm a scream speech by Anne that starts mm-hmm. the game off and classic. is also in the... Yeah, it, it is classic. It's amazing. And I can't stop thinking about I have no mouth and I must scream as you're describing all of this. Because yeah, totally. that sounds pretty much exactly what is going on in that short story. Also, if mm. you haven't read or experienced, I have no mouth and I must scream. My God, you should really go and read that. It is free on the internet. You can probably just Google it and find it somewhere. It's amazing. And it is horrifying. And also Harlan Ellison, it's just great. You should read more of his stuff too. There's a great documentary about him on Netflix. I think that shows how much of a cantankerous, 
kind of old man he was. Yes, he is your spirit animal for sure. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's but but anyway, yeah. Let, let's not discount that. So, Courtney, mm-hmm. love that idea. Really, really love that idea. Is this a natural response to humans escaping into the jungle, or was this a precursor to that? I could see that as being a response to like the event that we had discussed last time. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe even that's when the robots become aware that these psyches are still sort of in there lurking and they realize mm. like, oh, we could do a lot with this. That's a good point. That's a really good point. It fits the profile of uh, this robot species we've created in that they are very curious and thoughtful even though that thoughtfulness might be a psychological torture slash experimentation on minds. Mm-hmm. They're just data collecting, Daniel. Right. That, that's all they're doing. And they're producing they're like, new experiences. Oh, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. we've never done this before. What happens if we do it this way? Okay, okay, okay. That experiment just ended up in a triple murder-suicide, so that didn't work. <laughs> they make me think of insects for some reason, um, even though I, mm. I know there's no, like intellectual connection but like the idea of like long fingers or appendages and clicking and tapping gives me the feeling of these beings Mm. i imagine that the clicking and tapping is basically sending wi-fi signals back and forth because (laughs) i'm kind of with you on that one right where it's like it's not like they need to communicate through speech where they just look at each other and in like a a a couple of quick little head turns and like finger twitches and they've had like an immensely Mm -hmm. long conversation or Mm -hmm. like a data exchange essentially well we had that horrific image now that i'm remembering the last the end of our last episode with like the with these radio towers that that is like how they where their their information is stored and then they're just like the wastelands of like bodies and wreckage they've collected Mm -hmm. yes you know absolutely yeah I, i mean the more that i think about the 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 robots, the more interested in them I am and the more interested I am in making them really alien, like more alien mm-hmm. than perhaps we were even uh, than I was thinking about initially. Right. Yeah. They can be ways to explore stuff about, I guess, ourselves that we just aren't comfortable with exploring. So I guess that's yes. the question. How can, and how controlled are these experiments? I suppose, right? Like is the jungle itself just an experiment? Is it like, is it like, oh, this is where we give them freedom just so we can milk the serotonin that they produce? Although it's not a biological aspect now, it's entirely within the machine. So that's interesting to think about as well, because they can't really experiment in terms of a chemical process with the brain physiology of people. So it's something else then, right? I don't know about you, Courtney, but my thoughts with the mm-hmm. with the jungle is that I think that it's something opposed to them or that that's out of their control because it's a place that if they go, they can't they're they can't get the sun until it weakens them. See, that's that's the initial thought, right? Mm-hmm. But why not make it so that's it's it's the matrix. Like they we we make you think that that's your safe place, but really that's just another place to experiment on you, just mm-hmm. in different ways. We're playing with your idea of freedom and what that means. What does freedom look like to to sentient meat bags? You know, let's find out. That's oh, so you're saying that the 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 woods might actually be a form of illusion created by them too? Yeah, it's it's a controlled it's a That's controlled experiment. Yeah, that is very fucked up. Yeah, and goes even so, further into the I have no mouth yet I'm a scream idea. A- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, 
you you you've got to give them hope, right? Like you've got to give people hope. Otherwise, well, or actually with Courtney now, right? You either have to give them hope or you have to give them really good psychotherapists in order for them to continue to try. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, because I'm sure after a while, like their brain or the psyches would just get totally fried. So they have to do something to like keep that from happening. Well, see, how true is that though, Courtney? Because we've taken the physiology out of them, mm, yeah, right? True. So these 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 are like consciousnesses that they they can basically um, keep in a in a safe state. Mm. So this conscious, as it is right now, is perfectly in stasis. We copy it, and then we can load that a million times and see what that experiment looks like over and over again. And if there's a psychological break fuck it reboot load up that save state and see where it goes from there does um does each running of the human program on these machine leave a residue of change in the machine um i i think see see when you ask these questions daniel (laughs) the answer is always yes of course (laughs) um so so yeah i i don't i don't see why not right i maybe that's where you can have because like the 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 flip the twist would be in this kind of thinking is um making the torturer become the tortured so the torturer at the outset is these machines experimenting on human consciousness right but mm. then if there is a a feedback so when i reach time i run this program and the human's tortured and it burns out it's fine we can run it again it's running on some substrate and i'm assuming that's the machines and so maybe they then feel the effects in some way and that then makes them even weirder or more grotesque or perhaps weaker i don't know that just makes me think that there are entire like servers like not just terabytes but like what google bytes of <laughs> misery and suffering yes. that are like concentrated into like basically a fucking hard disk Pancakes you know like some a pain <laughs> yeah exactly where it's like you can look at millions of lifetimes worth of suffering on like a USB drive. It would be nice too, if there's like a representation of it. So like, obviously these are all just like stacks on a pinnacle in the middle of a wasteland, but perhaps in their virtual reality, like one, what pancake layer of pain is actually this like twisted, you know, nightmarish, um, um, uh, what's the what's the video game? Not Resident Evil. Silent Hill esque landscape to wander mm-hmm. through. That's really the pancake of that memory, you know. Or perhaps it's some sort of jungle, <laughs> right? Or yeah, or maybe perhaps. maybe that's what it is. <laughs> like it's difficult to know if the realm of the jungle that we know is physically out there is act whether it's really out there or if it's just another layer of the pancake. Hmm. Now, now I'm thinking. Now I'm thinking, I mean, I normally think, but I'm thinking even harder now <laughs> because na- now the idea of like the darkness of the mind is the darkness of the jungle. And we yeah. can make that jungle even more important. You know, like you're now asking questions like is, is pain freedom in this landscape, right? Is suffering freedom what does suffering look like? And now we're getting into like real phys- philosophical. I mean, you here. asked the question about like how human is their physio or is their physiology or representation? Like if, if we know at least from a material point of view 
that this star system, at least this one, has a giant bloated red star and lots of other stars circling in it, and it's on its death phase. At least in terms of the physics, that world cannot have any life on it. Like, it has to be literally a barren, bleeding, boiling wasteland of fire. So that must mean that this, this at least logically, we must think, okay, this jungle doesn't really exist. So then, oh, is it really mm. only in the mind, you know? Fascinating, yeah, yeah. Oh, Courtney, way on this. What do you think about all that? Are we going too philosophical? Should I should we drop the Kierkegaard shit? What do you think? <laughs> no, I do like it. And um it does really play into the whole grim dark thing. If anything even remotely good is an illusion, if there's just mm. absolutely no life whatsoever. Um I like it. Hmm. So how, okay, I'm thinking about this from a storytelling perspective. How do we make something about this? How do we tell a story within this setting and not just have it be, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream too? (laughs) I mean, do we, we have factions and conflicts. I I have a conflict that might help Mm -hmm. um, in terms of stratifying. So like I was thinking, well, okay, we've got this, this big conglomeration of the machines, but we haven't really differentiated them much. So I thought maybe there's like a couple of classes of them. One being the pain loving experimenters, right? That we know they're trying to get these insights from experiencing pain of themselves through the sun and from the human consciousness. So I think of them as like a higher class of machine. And Mm -hmm. then I'm thinking there's probably these servitors who are more about pragmatism. They're more of a death cult and they're more, they're more specific. They're not interested in experience. They're interested in in data. So they might Mm. be the ones that go out into the wasteland, collect the trash, you know, subtract things and then pull them into the data pile. So it's like, you've got the kind of the exquisite pain machines and then the more um, on the earth, on the ground servitors who are not interested in philosophy and they're more interested in, okay, what's the actual literals, uh, effects that's going to happen as a result of this heat death or this massive death acceleration. So, so why are we stratifying them then? Like, what purpose would a robot have in class? Is I, I suppose my question. I think function. because the this is the where I, I think it'd be fun and twisty is if we talked about some of the human shades possibly taking over machines sometimes, like they they fall susceptible to the shade, and the shade kind of can assert its its consciousness what if the pain loving machines because they pursue pain it like they're the ones susceptible to rotting in this way whereas the servitors aren't like they're persistent and eternal and so there's this this there's this um tension between the two quote-unquote classes and that the pain machines you know are more human and the and the servitors don't like that because they're 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 more interested in the real end goal all right so now my question is how are they more human? Now that's a good question because it depends on what we mean by human. For me, for me, human yes, means a exactly. quality. It means a bunch of things. So, like a socialness, it means um, a, a kind of a, a sense of empathy potentially. So, like to me, humanness can be an animals too. So, I'm wondering then, like this humanness that we have, what we identify in ourselves as actual humans, is rubbing off on these servitors because they're exploring the depths of pain. Where are the servitors, the um, the pain loving class? Whereas the mm-hmm. servitors, they're not doing that. They're doing the hard work on the ground, so they're not mm-hmm. actually getting that chance to be brushing up with human with the human. So it's like that right. residue that you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so here is where I mean I was already willing to abandon hard sci fi for demon shit. 
So I'm willing <laughs> to abandon more hard sci-fi in a terms of a psychic residue. I'm, I'm totally yeah, okay with yeah. that. Can we think of a hard science way around it? So it's not a psychic residue, but something that is like a corruption within their, their software or hardware of some kind. Is that possible? I think so. Like it depends on uh, hard science is a question mark, but I mean, if we're talking about, let's say like um, dualism as opposed to like materialism. So in materialism, we've got like the physical world and that's it. And the laws of physics, there's no souls. Everything can be quantified. Right. But, Mm. and then the the reverse of that's idealism. There is a world of souls out there and then there's a material world. But dualism says that like, you know, you've got a physical world but then there's like this other physical world that supervenes on top of it. So it's like there's minds that come out of the physical world, which could kind of be like your chaos realm that's beyond the universe. Mm-hmm. So maybe like the experience of pain is a way of reaching into that realm. And that's how it could change you. Mm-hmm. I see. Courtney, what do it's, you think? My So my uh, conflict kind of relates a little bit. As far as um, mm-hmm. a split between the robots, and I wonder if we can kind of like merge them together, work with that in some way. That's what we do. Absolutely. Right, right. Let's go. Um, so mine had been about uh, robots who basically want to stay on the planet and continue like pure research in that way versus ones who wanted to venture off into space and explore the void, mm. uh, which can sort of relate to your demon idea like maybe they maybe those more explorative robots they actually want to like enter the portal essentially or kind of cross that boundary and see what's on the other side versus mm-hmm. like the more realist robots who just want to stay in place and continue their studies yeah i mean i feel like that for me that sets lots of servitors versus the pain loving class almost. yeah Hmm. See, let, let me let me be real with you guys for a second here. Like my idea behind like demons and whatnot is is purely in service to the twist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like I had this whole idea of like basically also having like the reason that the robots basically start this way is a demon virus that spreads amongst the robots, right? <laughs> Uh, Mind you, I don't think that that's the most, like, I'm far more interested, frankly, in, in like cutting that part out and just focusing on the hopeless aspect of this entire planet. I think that that's way more interesting to me than having a sweet robot slash demon battle that happens, right? That sounds so cool, though. (laughs) <laughs> it, it is cool. I agree. I like, I'm not here to knock it. I feel like that's more of like an alternative plot hook yeah. that we're like, all right, demons come and then robots fight. Well, like, well maybe, maybe that's your a demon virus. Genre. Like maybe your demon virus is a thing in the sense that like pain itself is a demon virus in the sense that like the more you explore pain and this, I guess is kind of what Hellraiser. I've never seen Hellraiser. So may, tell me if it's totally off, but the more you explore the pain dimension is the more you explore that hell dimension. Like there's an exquisiteness that changes you in it, but it's also like demonic. So, okay. Th- that's actually, you're not too far off actually. Okay. Um, but the idea surrounding that is actually kind of fascinating where, you know, humans might, 
codify it as a pain or a demon virus, uh-huh. but really it might just be the these robot or AI consciousnesses experiencing pain. Yeah, for the first that's time. what I mean. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that like, and it, so it goes from completely not experiencing emotion or like physicality in any sense, and then. Oh, this is what pain is. Uh-huh. Whoa! Yep. What is it? and you know, like this fascination that happens as a result. You know, well, there, that- there's a there's a uh, Simpsons joke where there, there's an anti science riot, and they go into a lab, and then out comes a robot that's on fire, and all he's doing is screaming, "Why? Why was I programmed <laughs> to feel pain?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. It's like, let's take that joke um, and then also just make it incredibly serious and incredibly dark. Uh-huh. And like, let's warp it to the idea that, okay, they can now experience pain and it basically just breaks them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were built, I mean, you were talking about a virus, but they could have also been programmed that way as a way to extend the human lifespan, like what we were talking about last time. Like if oh, they were point. like vessels to carry humans past their lifespan like people would still want to feel the things that they could feel as humans um and maybe mm-hmm. that's what did the robots in there's a concept in i don't remember specifically where i had read it from but um which describes as like at ai's boundaries of of functioning that it has to function inside these boundaries that we've programmed but when it exceeds these boundaries it's kind of like going off the edge of the cliff of the mesa and that's when it kind of loses it so maybe like the uh, a possibility of feeling pain is what pushes it outside the boundaries of its programming and thus mm-hmm. allows it to be really a vessel for human feeling. Mm-hmm. But since all humanity is gone now and we're at the verge of the end of the universe, like it's not serving that purpose anymore. It's created a new kind of monster in these pain, mon- these pain machines and these servitors. I could also see it just being a, a thing where it's like, it's a natural response where, I mean, again, these machines were initially created so humans could pilot them in a sense. Right. But, you know, you need some kind of a pain receptor. So it's like, you know, to make, you know, like, Hey, you're breaking the machine. Don't do this. Right. And so the idea that that is somehow like, normally it's like supposed to trigger the human part, but there is an echo or there's something that lingers. So when, you know, like the human consciousness basically fades into that stasis again and the robot comes back to kind of finish the task. It's like, what is this? You know, like, mm-hmm. what is this mm-hmm. remnant that is in me? Dear God. And then like it's that it starts to analyze it and study it and it becomes an obsession and then it tells its friends <laughs> and then it like that's how it spreads. Right. Yeah, it's, and there's your demon the virus. Yes, exactly. It's it's a dangerous idea that just gets out of hand. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's it's yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. a little droplet of quote unquote free will in the boundaries of the machine's programming is enough to push it over the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Whew. All right, this is uh, this is a heavy episode, y'all. This is uh, we're 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 uh, pondering the concept of pain and how much that means. Yeah, we're we're going deep into it. So let's uh, let's see. We've done conflicts. Does, did, Courtney, do you have a faction that you wanted to introduce? Uh, that was my uh, psychiatrist robots. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, Daniel. Did you have a conflict? Did you have a Daniel? Did you have a faction that you wanted to introduce? 
Yeah, the faction I had in mind, um, I don't know where this will fit because now our woods are in a different place, which is kind of neat. Um, <laughs> but I had this concept of this thing I was calling like the devourer, which is similar to what you were talking about, um, Courtney, about like a, an amalgamation. Um, and my thought was this is like an am- amalgamation of, of uh, robot minds that have been devoured in the woods and it's creating its own separate consciousness from that of the, the towers of the, of the wasteland where all the data is being stored. Um, and it, it, like you were saying before, Courtney, it wants to survive the apocalypse. And I don't know if that means going beyond this world. It has a, a, a motive separate or opposite of what the machines is. And I was thinking perhaps like some of the machines when they um, get contaminated by human um, feeling and the shade ends up taking over their bodies, they get struck with this like melancholy and wander into those woods. And that's when they get devoured by this, this thing. Um, I just don't know much more specifics beyond that because I'm not sure like if now, if the, if the woods are like actually a layer pancake layer of pain somewhere in the, in the servers, that's kind of cool. Cause that means they kind of sink to a level to the devourer, which is growing mm. underneath the consciousness of the machine. I like that a lot. That's a very creepy, disturbing image that this thing mm-hmm. is like slowly kind of, coming up out of blooming like yeah just this like horrible existence of pain see see you you're i'm thinking of it as a jungle but in my mind i'm also thinking of it as like a like a gorge or like a canyon Mm -hmm. that it's like a giant sinkhole that is basically enveloping the rest of the world love it so basically like a black hole Oh yeah. my god, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Black holes exactly. everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, fuck it, we're going to go infinite. You know, yep. we're going to like start big and then go planetary and then within that jungle, it's even deeper. And then, yeah, you know, we'll go one layer deeper until we can... Maybe this environment is way more metaphorical than we imagined. Yeah, I think that we initially had this idea of like a very physical thing. And now the idea that, I mean... Again, like like I alluded to in our first episode, we are now taking the journey of the river into the heart of darkness. Yes. You know, like I think where it was very physical, now we're getting to the metaphorical, and I think that we can be uh, literary and very fart sniffy about it now. It's very so annihilation. I'm, I'm okay with that. You keep saying annihilation. I fucking love so that much, movie. I know, but there's so much more classic literature. Daniel. I know, but like, like I'm looking on. for some visuals, and it just it just does the work for me. I don't need anything else. Okay, how about how about Apocalypse Now? There is some visual uh, for you. I, I could say like Dante's Inferno would be fun. Um, that one. The I video really game? No, yeah, like the, video game. The, 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 the Robert game. Pinsky like version of that, I think has some really great imagery, but it's much easier for me to say Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shorthand. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, Robert Pinsky. I don't know that. I don't know that one. Daniel. That's my favorite translation of the Inferno. Oh, see, again, I was thinking of the video game. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> He actually wrote it in the rhyme scheme that the Italian, like the original Italian is supposed to be in. That's Interesting. Cool. Oh, are they, um, what's it called? Not are the they rhyme scheme, but the, the scheme. I forget the name oh, of the scheme. Okay. The, the form, the original form of the Italian, he does it in English, which is extremely hard to do. That, I, that sounds like too much work for me to be interested in. <laughs> I found it for you. It's the terzarima is the form. So he preserves that form by using a bit of slant rhyme and near rhyme in English, which is hard to do because the original is not in English. 
So I'm thinking that's more like Canterbury Tales type shit. Yes, but way more visual and fun. Yeah. Hey, I like Canterbury Tales. Canterbury Tales are good. I hated that one. I could not read that. So, okay, I hated it in high school. And then when I read it again in college, you enjoyed I enjoyed it. it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially the midwife's tale. Like there's so, there's like a lot of really interesting stuff to go over in the midwife's tale. But anyway, uh, we're, this is not our classic literature podcast yet. Um, so let's, uh, let's move on. I, we, we're done with the conflicts and the factions. Let's go ahead and move on to our plot hooks. Let me get the dice tray and we'll go from there. Yeah, Daniel, have you actually read Annihilation or just seen the movie? I've only seen the movie. That's why I'm interested. I, was, I actually bought, I remember we're doing the, the reading group. I actually mm-hmm. bought the book and then we never read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should read it. Yeah. It's, so it's all my good. references are about the movie. Mm. The book's better. I bet. I've heard. I mean, if the movie is freaking Man. can hold a candle, then I'm surprised because yeah. that means it must be really good. It's what I, I wonder. Um, the shorthand of, of lists of books where like the the movies are better than the books like um if only chris was here so i could tell him that i think that the movies are better um than the books with lord of the rings oh that's movie. factually accurate yeah i think that's just true yeah yeah i agree i i couldn't <laughs> i never actually finished lord of the rings because i just could not because it's style. so fucking boring i had a seminar so, yes. and we had to read all of them including the silmarillion and the hobbit and uh, no. honestly it's oh. not the best i i tried i tried Silmarillion and i got like 15 pages in it's like nah this is like a shitty bible nope it is is a shitty bible (laughs) okay guys the bible's already shitty (laughs) you know me i'm not one to praise uh tolkien but you know i mean come on yeah uh no he sucks uh i mean i know he doesn't suck but also fuck tolkien all right so now we're gonna do our plot hooks our plot hooks uh we basically Roll for genre and then figure out how we fit a type of adventure into the setting that we're dealing with. So for the first genre in our grim, dark pain robot world with endless sunlight, we've got science fiction. We're already there. Hmm. I understand that. So let's go ahead and roll for a theme and see what we can do to make it up. Tragedy. Okay, this is a lot, there's a lot of redundant stuff going on, but that's okay. That means that we can just make it very typical of the particular setting. So, tragedy within a ultra sci-fi setting in our world. What are we thinking? I suppose the first question I have to ask is, tragedy for whom? Right? Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think of uh, like older Star Trek and like what if the crew came across this planet on one of their adventures or something oh like how that would pan oh. out. that's actually really interesting that is that's courtney that's a great idea oh thank you because we're, we're thinking terrestrially right we're thinking like strictly from this planet the idea that there is a crew that comes by and like witnesses this is mm. actually really fascinating that's a great idea courtney Thanks. That movie would be called The Event Horizon, just so we know. <laughs> uh, kind of, with less like superfluous spikes and barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, I still less need cheesy. to see that movie. It's so yeah. fucked up. Yeah. It's not even. It's not good. There's yeah. like two good scenes uh-huh. in it, 
but really it's not good. It's mainly it's, fun because um, Alan Grant from Jurassic Park is the Sam protagonist. Neil. Sam, Sam yeah. Neil. Uh, Wasn't yeah. he called He's, Alan Grant okay. in, in Jurassic yeah. Park, though? The character? Yes, he is. Yes. He, that's his, that's his character me, in Jurassic Park. To me, yeah. Sam Neil is Alan Grant only. <laughs> to, uh, you and me both. I yeah. totally understand that. But the fact that you would call him the protagonist is... <laughs> blatantly <laughs> false he is the protagonist like, no he's just, just not because, good daniel no in the end just because the camera follows him does not he make him the, the protagonist who else is the protagonist in red horizon lawrence fishburne is the protagonist what? he is so yes. not he's a side character no he no he's, he's the like, main guy Are he's the captain me? but the, the camera the story follows sam that Dale. doesn't make them the protagonist it absolutely just, does no, it doesn't. oh my absolutely. god i will die Very on this hill that. sir you look. You will die. You can die on whatever hill you want, Daniel. He is not the protagonist. He. They tell the story from the villain's That's perspective. Like, That's like what um, what's her name in Final Fantasy? The one that gets stabbed through. That's like calling Eris the protagonist of Final Fantasy. No, because no. Okay, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Daniel. I mean, the whole the whole story's background. It depends on what we know about Sam Neil. No, because the entire story's background is about Lawrence Fishburne and his crew. What about Sam Neill and his wife? That's the whole, that's no, what drives the whole no. story. He is not the emotional core of that he film. Absolutely no, is. He absolutely is not. He's no, literally no. a nightmare okay. emotional Guys. vortex. No. Guys, I, no. I will watch the movie and make my judgment. Yes, you tell me. <laughs> Just because the camera follows him, Daniel, does not I think make he's a him... principal character, but. Sam Neill is absolutely the protagonist. No, absolutely not. A hundred percent not. He is fucking snooty and rude to the yeah, rest of the crew. Exactly. He is a dickhead and he is not the protagonist. Oh my god. Lawrence Fishburne is the protagonist. I'm Wikipedia this right movie. now. That oh yeah, because Wikipedia is gonna fucking tell you the authority <laughs> it's gonna be the authority. No, I'm just curious which one they situate. Uh, all right, let's let's move on. Can we can we move on? So I would like the I would love the idea to focus on a a uh, a research team or a Star Trekky type idea where these what happens when this crew comes uh, comes across this planet. I mean, what's I even? Can't ask Daniel because he's furious that you're doing right now. <laughs> so Courtney, why don't you start us off? You came up with the idea. Let's yeah. go ahead and expand upon it a little bit more. Yeah, it's like, what is even physically on the planet if it's this, like, desolate wasteland with robots just, like, internally torturing things and then other ones collecting trash? It's, I feel like it would be a very, very strange thing to stumble upon, and it would probably take them a while to discover what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the massive chrome spires that yeah. live in the landscape. Right. Actually, what we could do... Uh, we could still make the the jungle that you had in mind physical and real. And obviously that's the first thing that they're probably going to scope out is this weird jungle. And then from there, then you can kind of start to piece together things bit by bit. Mm-hmm. I bet too that like they detect that jungle as like a form of life on the planet. That's why they go there. But there must be some revelation mm-hmm. later on that it's not actually real in some way, like similar to like a Solaris situation. I was also thinking that, you know, like I was, I was suggesting that, you know, all, all of human existence's pain are, are on like hard drives. Can the jungle be like 
the form of the hard drive. Like it looks like a jungle, but it's actually just this weird like formation of like data storage of some kind. Why aren't those the pillars? Right. Well, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Right. But like, why not have, I mean, if we're going with pain as like something that is extremely different and important to these. Oh, give it embodiment robots. through the jungle. Yeah. Give it, mm. give it like you uh, always say, Daniel, cool. give it a physical embodiment. No, I and like that, that. Embodiment is the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the, the, the data structure that's taken on a bizarre form that were, it wasn't anticipated. And that is a jungle. Yeah. I'm thinking like in my mind, I'm picturing it like thin, like sheets of like plastic or, or not plastic necessarily, but some plastic like material where each thin sheet that looks like a leaf, that's like basically like a see, a see-through green plastic, right? Each, each incredibly, maybe it's a nano angstrom. If I'm going to, if I'm going to, uh, quote Ellison again, right? Like maybe each thin little sheet is like an incredibly sharp existence of pain. Maybe it's several lifetimes of pain. Each leaf on a tree is uh, again, just Ooh, pain. I like that. Yeah. pain and misery in existence. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And maybe it, maybe there was an actual jungle at some point And as this like pain entity started to grow, it sort of took it over and corrupted it. And that's why it's taking on this form. So it looks like a jungle from far away, but it isn't until you mm-hmm. actually get in there. It's like, oh shit, things are really fucked up in here. And I think that like the idea of like a crew stumbling stumbling upon a single leaf, grabbing it and then going to like data analyze it essentially. And they realize like, oh, this is, this is 50 years of psychological. Yeah. So yeah, like psychological torment. And then you look out and it's a vast jungle filled with like, mm-hmm millions of leaves basically and you're like oh fuck this is a vast forest of pain and torment oh my god listen to this sentence from a from from i have the mouth um if the word hate was engraved on each nano angstrom of those hundreds of millions of miles it would not equal one one billionth of the hate i feel for humans at this micro instant daniel that's that's exactly what i was referencing there you go absolutely (laughs) yep all right uh, I feel like we're good on that plot hook. Maybe we can get really cute and roll for like a rom-com. Maybe we can hope for, <laughs> oh God, wouldn't it be great if we could just roll for a rom-com oh right now? So what is the genre that we're rolling with for our second plot hook? Let's find out. Okay, I did roll romance. Um, Amazing. <laughs> oh God. I, I, that was supposed to be a joke and then I rolled it and now I don't know what to do with that in my life. So now we have to come up with a rom-com in this incredibly dark world. I'm thinking two of Courtney's pain class robots that just fall in love because they love torturing the same person. Go. (laughs) Actually, let's find out what the theme is first. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that'll help us just a little bit. Triumph and Hope. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Perfect. So it's setting. a romance subgenre with a Triumph and Hope theme. Is okay, so it's a love conquers all type situation? Is that what I'm thinking? Seems so antithetical to the entire premise. It really does. And and but unfortunately where my brain goes is murder suicide, you know, where it's <laughs> like 
they basically it's a suicide pact where it's like look we understand that this is the only way that we can stop our existence from being like being pure pain all the time and yeah that's how dark that is although you know what it might also be is um like two loved ones who keep fighting to come back they're shades, right? They're, they're taking over their robots and they keep finding each other over and over again. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I feel like we're so steeped in the grim dark of everything. Like how do we make something happen? That's like triumph and hope. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's asking us to do two contradictory things. That's the problem. Like if we, if we really give them the hope part of that, then we violate the grim dark premise. So I think I'm I'm okay with kind of violating it a little bit, but I suppose what does hope mean to these two people? That that's why I'm thinking, you know, like when I was asking earlier, what is freedom? Right? It's freedom from this pain, and that's why I'm thinking like hope and love, or like hope and triumph in this, much like it is. And again, I can't, I hate that we keep like that we're that we're fucking hacks. And we keep going back to, I have no mouth and I must scream. But the idea that to them, victory is death, right? Victory uh-huh. is the idea of escaping that hell, that allegorical hell that M creates for them. That's what triumph is. And that's an incredibly bleak and dark premise. So what does that, I mean, there's no San Junipero in this fucking world. Is it right? just a matter of giving yourself over to like the devourer, finding a way to do that, like venturing into the woods and surviving them so that you can annihilate yourself? Actually, the idea of giving yourself to the devourer as the only known method of escape mm-hmm. is intriguing to me. Like maybe there's this, maybe that the premise that I had previously where it's like two loved ones who keep finding each other and maybe it's been dozens of escape attempts, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the one where they finally realize there is no escape. We have to find the devourer mm-hmm. and melt our consciousness. It. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the way that they win. And I'm imagining this as a story of like, we basically started in media res where they're in the jungle and they're be- like being hotly pursued by these you know, by this force and it's a matter of we've just got to find the, the devourer or whatever, and then we'll be safe, you know, that type of thing. And it's like a cat and mouse game. And then as the story goes on, we learn more and more of like, oh, this is an entirely hopeless situation. And you understand what they're searching for. What if they're not just searching for like personal sort of triumph over their own pain, but they're also trying to essentially like release the devourer and mm. have it like sweep over the robot force. That's an interesting idea as well, for sure. Which, I mean, that raises its own issues of what could happen after the fact, but at that point they would be dead. Um, and mm, who knows two, what the devourer would do. They could be your, your, your starship travelers who are stranded on this planet after many eons of torment. And that's their solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I hate to bring this up, um, but I think that it's a great premise and I'm going to, and I'll talk about it. So in an episode of Rick and Morty, and I will pause for the, yeah, I will pause for your, for your uh. derisive <laughs> snickering. Go ahead. Uh, so that show is good and it is 
uh, overrated as fuck, but that's just because it has a toxic fan base and that's okay. All right. That's where I'm going to stop talking about Rick and Morty, except to explain this concept They're in. So in this episode, they're in a place where, uh, they sell these cookies, right? And these cookies are laced with the thoughts and memories of someone like basically it is the thoughts and memories of someone realizing that their child is their life and they love them. And it's about appreciating the simple things and they replay that memory for them on a loop and they take the serotonin and the chemicals that that brain creates and they put it on a cookie for consumption and they trap in that. Basically that person is trapped in that memory forever creating this response as a result. I think the concept is actually really brilliant. And that's something that I think we should probably consider here as well. It actually reminds me of a, a comic series. I think it's called Bone Parish, where it's um, it involves this like drug that was discovered that could be made from human remains that would let you, when you ingest it, basically like see that person again or interact with them in some way. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the deal with Rick and Morty? I've never seen that show. It is. It has a very bad reputation because it has a very uh, toxic fan base, shall we say? But it's got it's it's got really solid episodes, and it has really cool sci-fi premises a lot of the time. Daniel, I think that you, as a cynical bastard, might ask mm-hmm. might actually like it. But also, it is fairly crass, so old man, you might not like it. Yeah. So there's it's is a it like Futurama, uh, kind of, but like way more but crass. way darker. And I actually, well, yeah, no, it's it's way darker. I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I wouldn't start with season one. I would actually probably start elsewhere. The premise is incredibly simple. It's like there is an old man. It's it's basically like um, Back to the Future, but if um, but if Doc was like a uh, like really nihilistic alcoholic mm-hmm. and was incredibly abusive, like to more to to Marty, that's <laughs> okay. that's the essential. That premise. sounds fun, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's a comedy, and I think you might actually like. It. I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll 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 come back to that at some point. But you also don't like cartoons, yeah. so I don't know. Although I yeah. just saw one episode of Invincible, and I was like, oh, this is nothing. And then at the end, they got to the end. I'm like, holy crap, this is not what I expected. <laughs> Yeah, see, Invincible actually does the superhero thing. This that's yeah. why, like, when people are like, the superhero genre is lame. It's so played like, out. And then I saw that, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, right, and that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> like everyone who says that doesn't is not really a fan of the genre, and it shows uh-huh. because it's like the really interesting. And, and and actually, what's interesting is my my teacher actually told me this, and I and I 100 agree with him the really interesting stuff that happens in comic books never happens anymore with the major books. It's always about indie people. And it's always Uh about like small little sub books, like characters that you haven't thought about for 20 years, but there's like some new writer who's like, Oh, this is actually really interesting. If we do this, this, and this with them. And then everyone's like, Oh my God, that's so incredible. Like think about Alan Moore's swamp thing. Uh-huh. Like what, what Alan Moore did with something is actually fascinating and actually really brilliant. And that's what I like about comic books and about superheroes is that it's such a broad canvas. Like you can really do whatever you want with it. 
of course there's commercialized nonsense and there's, you know, every cinematic universe that is hot garbage, but it's like, there's, there's also so much cool, interesting stuff that you can do with that. It's it to, to dismiss the entire subgenre offhand, I think is a great disservice to people who enjoy fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Oh I man. Mean, I sound like one of those toxic Rick and Morty fans now, but anyway, I've got to, um, I've got to recommend the Legion TV show again. Cause it's like good. really fucking weird and like yes. way different than other superhero stuff. I watched it on your recommendation. I was surprised. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the one of three shows that Courtney recommends all the time. I agree. <laughs> I, you should check it out, yeah. but it is one of three that she always recommends. Hey, hey. Anyway, I think all of this drifting is uh, a good sign that we are ready to close out this chapter of World Build with us. Uh, any parting ideas or shots that we want to get in before we close out? All right. Well, if that's the case, then I want to thank Seth again for suggesting this uh, premise for us to build. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Shoot us a Twitter tweet over at Let's World Build. Or you can come join our Discord where we talk about world building and uh, Courtney can recommend. You can find out the other two shows that Courtney recommends all the time. Uh, <laughs> hey, and if you're feeling good shows. <laughs> yeah. If you're feeling particularly generous, you can always go ahead and give money to us over on Patreon. We've got all sorts of cool goodies and I don't know, cool stuff that we give to people like uh, just go look on it on the Patreon. That's fine. Anyway, that'll do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through it together. Until next week.